looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Zach. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 69 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for another incredible episode. It's the shirt that we're all together today. And we are going to have a great time. It's the last episode of our podcast in the 60s. We turn 70 next week. Can you believe it? We're turning 70. But let's not focus on that right now. Right now, we're here to celebrate this episode. This episode with stand-up comedian, actress, writer, director, producer, clubhouse superstar. Ladies and gentlemen, Leah Lamar is here. And we're going to chat in just a few minutes. You're going to love it. You know what else you're going to love? You're going to love heading over to jeffisfunny.com, the official website of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. There you can do so many things. You can spend like an entire afternoon just hanging out there. One, you can click on buy me a coffee. Why would I buy you a coffee? I don't know. Somebody just had a birthday. Me. You could buy me a coffee. That'd be super cool. I'd appreciate it. I'll drink it. Say your name on a future episode. How cool would that be? I know you're thinking to yourself, wow, that would be so cool. Yes. Agreed. You can also sign up for my mailing list. I send out cool emails. You don't want to be the one like sitting there and everyone's like, oh, (laughs) and you're like, what's going on? And they're all like, oh, you must not be on this mailing list. And then you'll feel left out and you'll feel horrible. So just sign up and avoid all the FOMA that comes with not being on my mailing list. Also, there's a button on my website called Follow the Jeff Dewaskin Show. If you click on it, you can follow this podcast on any podcast app. Wait a minute, Jeff. There's a lot of podcast apps you're saying to yourself. I say, I know, but we're on all of them. What? I know. Put your socks back on and get ready to like, follow, subscribe, whatever words those podcast apps use to my podcast. You'll get notified every time a new episode goes live. It's awesome. We're on every single one in the world. What you're saying to yourself that's impossible? Apple. Check us out. Spotify iTunes, iHeartRadio. No way. Yes, we are on iHeartRadio. Podchaser, Good Pods, CastBox. We're everywhere. And here's a fun fact for you. Only one in 100 podcasts are everywhere. And statistically, while that is not at all true, every podcast is everywhere. It makes me feel special to make up statistics to make me feel special. So let's just keep this between us and like just brag to everyone that you listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app and just get them to listen too. That's the best thing you can do for me. If this whole world was just using the same shampoo and listening to my podcast, that would be the greatest thing in the world. The second greatest thing in the world, follow my YouTube channel, The Jeff Dewaskin Show. Watch my live show every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Me and a bunch of friends, we talk about amazing shows and movies you should be binging. You're always saying to yourself, what should I watch? I can't think of a show to watch. Well, I created a show And that show answers that universal question. So head on over to YouTube and enjoy all the past episodes and get notified when we go live every week. I do want to take a quick minute and just talk about something really personal and important to me. (sighs) All right. um, Someone's calling during my serious monologue. 
Hey, Jeff, this is Ricky Glor, your friend, comedian, filmmaker, man who wears many hats in the entertainment industry. Hey, Ricky, great to hear from you and everyone listening. Just so you know, me and my friends, we always do a full resume whenever we call each other just to say hello. So, Ricky, what's going on? What's up with you? Yeah, I just wanted to come on and talk about my upcoming horror film currently in production called All Your Friends Are Dead. Nice, and you brought your own theme music. (laughs) Ricky, what makes this movie different than other horror films? Jeff, you're asking what makes this slasher movie different than the countless other thousand slasher movies that take place in the woods that have come out since the 80s? Yes, that is what I'm asking. Well, this one's very special. This is what if the teen slasher movie grew up. Ooh, adult slashers. Yes. What if it is not just a bunch of teenage dum-dums in the woods getting killed off one by one? What if there are people in their mid-30s? What if they're middle-aged people? You're blowing my mind here, Ricky. What does that look like, getting chased around by a masked, deranged psycho killer? What can myself and all my listeners do to help you, Ricky? We need your help to help finish the movie, and so we really are hoping that people will contribute and see this indie horror movie come to life. A lot of the costs will go to post-production costs. For that, we're going to offer a perk of a Blu-ray. For $80, you can get a Blu-ray copy of the film that is limited to 100 copies. It will have an exclusive commentary track only on this Blu-ray. Also, for that $80, you get your name in the credits and a social media shout-out. All for only $80? That's like a bargain to get into the movie biz. So please go to our Kickstarter for All Your Friends Are Dead and help see an indie horror movie come to life. This sounds really exciting, Ricky. Thank you so much for having me on, Jeff. All right, everyone. I will put the link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. You know how to get to the show notes. Go to jeffisfunny.com. They're all there. Just so everyone knows, I'm not involved with this Kickstarter at all. All the donations go to Ricky and his team. I just wanted to help Ricky out. Ricky was a guest on Episode 7 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. Ricky was the first person ever to reach out to me and asked to be on my podcast. So I felt really special when he did that. So when he told me he had a movie and he needed some help, I invited him back to uh, introduce him again to all of you. So check that out. Cool stuff. I know there's other levels of giving too. When you're checking out the teaser, I think there's even a $20 level where you can help become a part of the movie. So anyway, that's pretty cool. And now it's time for the social media tip. This episode is going to be a little different in terms of the social media tip. Usually I'm here and I'm dropping knowledge and I'm giving you all the scoop. But sometimes I have a guest like my guest today, Leah Lamar, who happens to also be not only a talented comedian and actor, but also synonymous with Clubhouse and its success. Clubhouse is an amazing app. It's an audio focus social network. And Leah talks all about how she found it, what drew her to it, and why she stayed, and how she became such an integral part of the success of Clubhouse over the past year or so, amassing a huge following. I'm just going to ask you to hang tight, and we got some great info coming up in just a few minutes from Leah. And that's the social media tip to be continued. I do want to take a quick moment to thank all of you for your support of the sponsors week after week. I can't thank you enough. When you support my sponsors, you're supporting me. 
and the podcast live from Detroit, The Jeff Jawaskin Show. And your constant support, that's how we keep the lights on. Today's sponsor is Rock Ridge Railroad Company. That's right, Rock Ridge. We're bringing rail transport to your town. Are you used to traveling by car or plane? Well, it's time to give train travel a try. With unlimited physical or emotional baggage limits, you no longer have to leave anything at home. Train travel allows you to kick back, relax while traveling without the fear of plunging 30,000 feet. Say goodbye to traffic jams and unlimited destinations. Travel by train today. Well, if you're interested in train travel, check them out at rockridgerailroads.com. I believe they now have up to 16 destinations for you to choose from. So that's pretty exciting. But I'll tell you what's really exciting is my conversation with Leah Lamar. It's time I think I shared that interview with you. It's a great discussion about following your dreams. Enjoy. All right, everybody. I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest, comedian, actor, clubhouse superstar, writer, producer, Leah Lamar. Leah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So it's it's fun to have you. I appreciate you taking time from your superstardom to hang on my show with me. I mean, you mostly disturbed me just making a chair and... Oh my God, if anyone is a task rabbit, please come to my house. I cannot do this. I need a husband or a task rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Moving is not easy. There's a lot. No, there's there's already screws missing in half the chairs. I think people will be lucky to leave my house without with all their limbs. That's just where <laughs> we're at right now. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to Ikea yet to fill up the house? I am very shamefully ordering most of my furniture from Amazon. I know, the shame. I feel the shame. Well, I don't want children in my furniture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. For those who don't know, Leah is, I guess, the face of Clubhouse. I mean, you've been on so many articles, Rolling Stone, et cetera, et cetera, bringing comedy to Clubhouse during the pandemic. But I know there's, there's more to the story because as I kind of dug into your background, you've done a lot. The overnight success that took years. <laughs> Let me ask you first. Leah Goldman is your name. You changed your name, I'm guessing, for SAG. How did, why did you pick Lamar? Wow, you really went right for it. You know, when you asked me before this, is there anything that you... Now I'm worried you're going to be like, so can you name every ex-boyfriend and their address and why it didn't work out? Jesus Christ, Jeff. Is this fun for you? <laughs> it's a fair question. It's a great name. I assumed that you picked it because of Hedy Lamar, who was an amazing... Jewish woman called the Jewish Wonder Woman. I figured that fit your personality and probably where you would have got that from. But I wanted to know if that was the case. That was just my guess. Yeah, I, I changed my name from Jew McJew to slightly less Jewish. Hetty Lamar is a very distant cousin of mine. And I found that out many moons ago at an awkward Thanksgiving dinner. And so basically right after that, I just changed my name. I always wanted to change Goldman. It's, uh, it sounds like you're eating a sandwich. Goldman. Mm. Like, it's just, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm very obviously Jewish. I talk about it a lot. It's not something I'm trying to hide. But yeah, I always wanted to change Goldman. So I did. You are unabashedly Jewish. I am. I like that about you. Jewish and proud. It's nice. I wasn't always this way, but I am certainly now. And over the last couple of years, I felt that way. But I do think that when I was thinking about becoming an actor in the industry, I couldn't think of that many Jewish actresses who had distinctly Jewish names. And most of them were comedians. Sarah Silverman. She's the only one I can think of that has a super 
Jewish name that's distinct like that. But when you think about actors, you know, Natalie Portman used to be Natalie Hirschlag. Right. Gal Gadot doesn't like, if you don't realize it's Israeli, it doesn't like scream anything specific. Scarlett Johansson, same thing. Mila Kunis, same thing. So, you know, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I was like, if I'm going to be an executive producer or in finance or a doctor, I'll keep Goldman. But since none of those things really struck my fancy, I decided to go for a swaparoo. Right. You walk into the room with Goldman, then people are already preconceived Jewish. Right. They immediately point at me and say, Jew, you know, which I am, but... Now they're like, right. ooh, what is she, you know? Right, but you control it and own it on your own terms, which uh, I think works. Have you had any problems with uh, anti-Semitism since moving out there? And I mean, you are you are very outwardly Jewish, which again, I love, but I'm just curious, is it is it made anything harder for you? Because you definitely don't hide it. Well, I didn't book Mrs. Maisel, and that completely ruined me because I'm a Jewish female comedian from New York. And don't get me wrong, Rachel Brosnahan is a genius, but she's not a stand-up comedian and she's not Jewish. And I'm like, really? There are so many Jewish comedians who are actresses. I mean, just put Natalie Portman in. But Rachel Brosnahan is an absolute genius. She does the role justice. I won't say it's anti-Semitic that they don't they didn't cast me. <laughs> no, you know, I, I have faced a lot of anti-Semitism when I went to school in Virginia. And the South is a very different place. And I, I'm not really sure why I stayed, to be honest. I think there was a very, very small arts community. And I really related to the 20 people that I found in the arts community at such a massive school. But for the most part, a lot of people had a lot of misconceptions, old timey misconceptions about Jews, you know, the ones that are like horns and like money grubby and I mean, I am. It's just like, it just sounds bad when they say it, you know? <laughs> right. It's none of their business. Right. You know, I, I would be walking down the street and someone would be like, are you Leah? Are you that Jew from New York? And I'd be like, oh God, is it going to grab the pitchfork? And they'd be like, well, at least you're not a big, fat, ugly Jew. And I'm like, so you think I'm hot? <laughs> you know, ter it's terrifying. And then when the KKK came through Charlottesville, I was actually just surprised it didn't happen sooner. Truly, it's a very scary place. I got dumped for being Jewish. I mean, you know, a, a girlfriend that I was bringing home for Thanksgiving on the ride up was telling me how she thought that the rapture was real, which, okay, you believe what you want to believe. I don't judge anyone. And she was saying, I'm just so happy that when the apocalypse happens and Jesus comes back, if you decide to accept his light into your heart and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, that after living with all the plagues on this planet for seven years, if you survive, that you could be with me in heaven. You get a second chance. Isn't that so cool? And I was like, pull over the car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least she gave you a path. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't think that the older Jews are going to appreciate this conversation. You know, we need to have a little chit chat. What, what is it they say down there? Bless your heart. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless, Bless your, your heart. heart. My heart has been blessed so many times. <laughs> they must be really worried. Yeah, they're very worried about my soul. <laughs> no, no one is more worried about my soul than my parents. So they can try all they want. But the Christians have nothing on the Jews. That's all I know. <laughs> are your parents very supportive parents? Were they always like behind you being a stand-up comedian and actress? No. I was cut off at 18 and which I think is very unlikely in the Jewish community, to be honest. But in a way, I think that's made me very strong and built a lot of character, just what everyone loves character. And everything I have and everything I've built, I've done myself. And that's something that I'm very proud of. And it's a narrative that I definitely cling to sometimes too hard. 
you know, I want to just scream from a rooftop, but I did this myself. (laughs) Did someone just hand it to you? I had a chip on my shoulder about that for a long time. You know, I worked two, three, four jobs at the same time, just trying to make ends meet and pay off student loans and having jobs that I hated. And I think I took a lot of jobs just to appease my parents so that they would be happy. But nothing ever aligned with my soul that wasn't being an artist. And I feel like if I'm not performing or I'm not creating, I'm dying. That's how I feel. And so once I finally took the steps to being a full-time artist and making this my life's purpose and pursuit, that's when I finally felt free. And my parents, I think, I think my parents just want what all parents want for their children, to be happy, to be successful, to not have to worry. And a lot of that comes with a job because a job provides stability and a 401k and health insurance. And you know that there's a very easy trajectory that you can see when someone follows a clear path and a ladder, you know, uh, steps up toward your career and building momentum one day being that CEO. And I just never really wanted that. I don't see myself existing in that system. I've, I've never really done well with structure. I think I operated well within it to a certain degree because my teachers, I found, always made, always had a lot of flexibility for me. And so, mm, Jeff, <laughs> they were not that supportive for a while. And I think it's hard for parents to get on board when your daughter goes to quote-unquote la-la land and thinks that she's going to be a quote-unquote comedian or actress. It's a hard profession. And I don't think that they didn't think I was special or anything, but they couldn't jump on board. So I really just had to stick to my chosen family at the time for support through that. And, you know, we've very much rekindled our relationship now. And I'm we're just starting to rebuild our family structure. And I think they are very proud of me. And they came to see me do stand-up for the first time in six years. I've been doing stand-up six years. And they came to see me at the West Palm Beach Improv. I was opening for Eric Griffin. And it was a sold-out show. It was packed. And I think that they said, oh, okay, she's actually like doing this. She's not just saying she's doing it. She's not flailing. She's doing it. You know, she's opening for a very well-known, respected comedian. She's doing great in front of a packed room. And I think that that's when it really hit them that I'm doing this, not going to go away anytime soon. And that's that. I'm glad that you're reconciling. You know, I I understand, you know, I have two daughters myself. And so it's I can see where, you know, you, you worry about your kids, I think is what it comes down to. Right. right? You know, I always love them. It's just, you know, you get nervous. That's off to you for going out and doing and following your dream. I think that's, it's incredible. And it's for them, it's nice because you're one of the ones that actually pop. Not everyone who goes and tries to do what you do ends up on, you know, the cover of Rolling Stone, name dropped by Joe Rogan, all that kind of stuff. So, well, it's, you know, it, it's interesting because I find that I can't really, share with them a lot of my success because they have no idea about my industry. So for example, I am opening for Dane Cook at the Cosmopolitan in Vegas. That's amazing. Thank you. I'm very excited. And I called my mom and I said, mom, do you know who Dane Cook is? And she was like, no. And I was like, all right, well, just know this is something you should be proud of me about. This is a big deal. I mean, they don't know very many comedians. It's just not their interest. I think it's like in general, though, I think people outside of the comedy community, I once went and saw Mitch Hedberg, Lewis Black, wow. and David Tell. Unbelievable. And I would tell my friends, right? I, can you believe that lineup? Insane, right? I would tell people and they'd be like, 
who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they didn't know any of them. And it's like, it's, it's weird. It's like they know certain people know certain people. I mean, your mom should know who Dan Cook is, but like. <laughs> but they're, they just live in a different time zone. You know what I mean? They're, they live in a different timeline, I think. I love them, but I opened for Russell Peters and they didn't know who Russell was. You know, they didn't know who Eric Griffin was. I'm like, these are some of the biggest comedians in the world. <laughs> You know, I'm like, do you know who Sarah Silver, like, do you know who Joan Rivers? Of course they know Joan Rivers, but of like to not know Dane Cook is like, you're just living under a rock. Love my parents. (laughs) So they can't always celebrate with me, but I am excited about the cool things that are coming up for me. Yeah, Dane Cook is huge. That's exciting. And he's an amazing person. I mean, he has gotten me some really cool spots at the Laugh Factory, at the Improv. He's really helped me out and he doesn't have to. Just nothing but a nice guy giving other people shots. That's how you know a real mensch, right? When they make it and then they help other people. Yeah, he's the goat. That's very cool. Hey, I wanted to circle back because actually I was gonna I was gonna joke about Miss Maisel earlier because you had a couple of TikToks that I saw where you did like a modern Miss Maisel. We you were being serious when you said you auditioned for that role. Oh yeah. Cause I was gonna what I wanted to bring up is I always thought it was interesting and I've had this conversation with friends is like when the whole thing came out, black people have to voice black people. A poo can't be a non-Indian part, right? And I would always say the only exception they seem to accept, the whole world accepts, is they let non-Jews play Jews. Nobody said anything about Miss Maisel. She's not Jewish. Tony Shalhoub's not Jewish. I mean, they play great Jews. I love Tony Shalhoub. I mean, he's just a genius. Look, the whole cast is fantastic. And I I wouldn't ever recast. I think that they do a perfect job portraying the characters. And that's what acting is. However, it does bother me. I mean... Right, but it it was never even addressed. No, I know. People don't consider us a minority, even though we're less than 1% of the world and we are so historically hated that it makes no... It blows my mind. And we are so disproportionately hated. I'm like, to hate us that much? Is it because we control 15% of the world's wealth and that's why you hate us? Like, what is the other reason? You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, I don't know any of it. But yeah, it's, it's deeply saddening and confusing that we're not seen as diverse. It, what's interesting is I find people either think that they say, oh, you're just a white woman or, oh, you're just Jewish. They'll, some reason it's, there's some sort of confusion with what Jews are. And also the other thing is that Jews aren't all just white. Right. So, you know, it's an ethno religion and I get it. It is kind of confusing. And I, I understand why people want to hate us so much because we are so fun. <laughs> <laughs> we are fun. We like to party. We're funny. We're smart. But I really wish that, you know what? I'm going to take the words out of my mouth and just let that sit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could talk about this all day. I just, I, I love Jews. I love, I love a lot of people. I love so many people. And I'm just sad to see that Jews are not deemed as any sort of diverse population well you're gonna change that i with all your uh jewish things <laughs> let us pray <laughs> do you consider yourself an actor who does comedy or a comedian that acts i used to consider myself an actor who does comedy and now i feel like i'm a comedian who acts and i only say that because i mean i'm 
you know, a classically trained actor and have been acting for so much longer than I've been doing comedy. And yet comedy is the thing that's really taken off for me. I mean, I wanted to do Broadway. Oh, I used to sing. I'm a horrible dancer. I have eight left feet, if that's possible. You know, Broadway was my dream. Did not happen. I wanted to be a Jewish Britney Spears. Didn't happen. You know, there a couple dreams died before we got here, Jeff. You know, this wasn't number one. But what I realized is that getting to just be myself was actually more freeing than pretending to be someone else and confined to someone else's words. And I don't think at this point in my life I could have one without the other. I don't think that I would want to just strictly be a touring comedian. I love being on, on set and I love the creative process. I, I have a couple of pilots I've written that I would love to be produced. And if I'm in them, amazing. If I'm not, no problem. But there's nothing more fun than watching great idea executed well in TV and film. For me, I now feel I'm more of a comedian who acts, but that's simply by virtue of what I do more frequently because I've been an actor for as long as I can remember. I mean, I acted, I acted happy when I was depressed. You know, I mean, I should have won an Oscar in college. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> what was the path? What was your first, was it your first acting gig that came first or did you do a stand-up? Oh, no, no. I mean, I've only been doing stand-up six years. Acting I've been doing for, for much, much longer. I mean, it was mostly musicals. I was doing a lot of musical theater. And then, you know, but I was never a lead. There's something about singing in uh, public that made me really nervous. I can sing for a small group of friends. But for some reason, you know, I know that musicians bear their soul through song. Comedians bear their soul through jokes. And for some reason, I just feel more comfortable doing it through jokes. And it was a nervousness I could not get over. I loved musicals, but there just was something that did not work for me, just did not click. So then I just started doing straight theater, which I loved. And I love theater, which moved me to sort of the TV film route. So when I was living in New York City, I was doing some off-Broadway shows and off-off-Broadway <laughs> shows. And then off-off-off-off-off-Broadway shows, right? And then I started auditioning for TV film and, and getting booking little commercials and little, you know, co-stars here and there on shows. And then when I moved out to LA, I started doing immersive theater and auditioning and being a non-union actor in LA is gold. If you're an actor and you're listening to this, stay non-union as long as possible, especially if you're booking. Because once you join the union, you are in the major leagues and you are up against the best of the best. So stay non-union as much as possible because I used to work left and right. I used to book every commercial. Anyway, moral of the story. <laughs> I'm very grateful for my union. Yeah. And then, I, and then I just, you know, ran with TV film and I was doing a bunch of improv, but I never loved it. I don't really, you know, there's no I in team, but there is a me. <laughs> <laughs> and sure, I like to yes and people and improv, sure, sure. But I prefer to know but an entire audience. I realized that for me, I have the personality of a comedian more. I'm more of a lone ranger. I like to come and go on my own schedule. I like to write my material. Not that I don't have a team mentality, so to speak, but, you know, I guess I don't. No, there's there's something about being up there and just kind of owning it. I could never do improv. I fooled myself into thinking, oh, I'm getting better at improv the more I'm on stage. But really, I just got better at riffing with the audience, which I guess is you know being a little off the cuff, but not like you're at a dentist office, you can only talk in disco voice or something crazy. Like, right. It was interesting that you were less afraid to do stand up comedy than 
sing because to me doing stand-up comedy would be a thousand times harder because i mean i always thought like when you're watching someone sing you can just listen right you can kind of half listen you can i can talk to you and the person over there is singing whatever james taylor and they're doing whatever and i'm we're just enjoying it but we're doing our own thing stand-up People have to actually listen to you, right? I mean, to get that laugh, they have to have been paying attention. And so there's a whole different level of focus on you. It's just interesting. I get it. Like, I could never sing either. So I totally understand. But for people listening, it's probably like, that's weird. It's like, oh, you can just go sing a Britney Spears song. And what's the big deal? Doing your own words and being judged, (laughs) right? It seems so much harder. So much harder. Yeah, I think there's something about having people listen to me. And I'm not just talking about my therapist. But (laughs) when I am... Am talking about myself on stage, there's something very therapeutic about it. I always say therapy is therapy. You know, anyone who says comedy is therapy, fine. And I find myself writing jokes to heal, you know, after a breakup, after a death, anything that's traumatic, I'll write jokes and when I'm ready, and then I'll say them for as long as I need them. And then once I process the pain, kind of take them out of my set, I don't need them anymore. I feel like I got it out. I know a lot of artists are like that. You know, you'll write a song about a breakup, you'll write a poem, whatever it is, right? I think that's how I also work as a comedian. I just write about my life so much. I mean, everyone knows about my sex life because anyone who has ears will hear it, (laughs) (laughs) whether they want to or not. Singing always just felt so scary to me. I think I was not confident enough of a musician and I am more confident in who I am as a person. I don't want you to think I wasn't nervous. I mean, the first time I did an open mic, it was a barista, my best friend, and the open mic host before the open mic started. And I was so nervous, I asked to go before the other comedians came. I went to the bathroom eight times beforehand. I I couldn't hold myself together. And I did five minutes. And afterward, I was like, am I funny? I just bombed for five minutes to no one. It's like, no, what are you talking about? You're not going to be funny for another 10 years. Most comedians, I think when they go on stage, they do have that internal nervousness. But it's when you step on stage, it immediately converts to energy, right? And then that's what kind of drives you through it. If I were to get on it to do karaoke, that would kill me when I would get on stage. It would turn against me. Like Johnny Carson would talk about, he would have that pit in his stomach every time before he went on. I think if you don't have it, the shows that you have the most trouble with just because you didn't convert the energy as you're kind of walking on stage. It's interesting because the more I do stand up, the more dead inside I feel going on stage, the better for me personally. The nerves that I have now, I'd convert into excitement. But the nerves I had going on to sing, I could never convert to excitement. It would just consume me and I couldn't get past it. It was interesting. I don't know why. But here we are today, Jeff. Telling jokes to the internet. (laughs) Telling dick jokes to whoever will listen. (laughs) When you were kind of converting from being an actor to a comedian, how did you start doing comedy six years ago? What was the first thing? Did you just start doing open mics? Just start riffing? Just trying to figure it out? Yeah, I took a class. I took Pretty Funny Women with Lisa Sunset. And it was great because it was a very supportive room with other female comedians who were rising. and We could go to open mics together. And I think open mics can be very intimidating especially when you're new and especially when you're a female. And so it was nice to have other women to go to mics with. I mean, eating shit, aka bombing, aka not getting any laughs, is hard. You really have to have a thick skin and you really have to have an intense stick to to stay in it and keep writing jokes and keep trying and getting up there and 
telling jokes in front of other people who are too jaded to laugh at them and, you know, are just waiting their turn to get on stage and aren't paying attention to your jokes, you have to really want it and you have to really enjoy it. And you have to really grind and pound the pavement, get up as much as you can and record every set and listen back and see where you got laughs, see where the wording was specific to where you got a laugh and memorize it that way so that you don't change it. That's why you're getting the laugh. And be willing to workshop your jokes and rewrite them. I mean, a lot of it is failing. A lot of it is learning in public. And I think that that's a very hard thing to do. And if you're willing to not make money doing it for a long time, and even when you do start making money, realize it's not something you can live off of and you'll have to have multiple other jobs to support yourself until you're in a place where you're getting paid the kind of money to headline and tour, you know, it's a long road. So you have to love it. If you don't love it, and you'll know. You started comedy in LA or New York? I started comedy in LA. Yeah, which is wild. But here we are. She started comedy in LA and she lives to tell the tale. (laughs) (laughs) My sets then versus my sets now are very different. You know, my sets then were very planned and structured. And I knew I was doing which jokes when and it felt very performative. And now my sets, it depends on the type of room I'm doing. But, you know, for example, Friday and Saturday, I chose in smaller rooms, less than 100 people, less than 50 people, probably. And I just talked to the audience for most of it. You know, I just did crowd work because I could and because I wanted to. And I, I enjoy doing crowd work because I love connecting with the audience that way and making them feel like they have an inside joke. Then they're, they're part of my set versus them watching me and laughing at me. It feels like they're laughing with me. But, you know, I love doing both. And I used to be terrified of crowd work. And now I love it. You know, being on the road so much gets you a little more in your comfort zone to talk to people and realize you can make anything funny if you give it a chance. (laughs) If you give it a chance. How did the uh, boys to menorah thing come around? Hilarious. So actually, I can't even begin to tell you how many people sent me the casting notice that they saw. I was honestly baffled because it was, they were looking for an attractive Jewish woman. And so I like, I was like, all right, this is, you only get the jobs you're meant for. And I'm obviously meant for this job. If five people have reached out being like, have you seen this casting? (laughs) And so I submitted. And then for those that don't know, Boys to Menorah was a James Corden skit with Zach Braff, Charlie Puth. Oh my, it was wild. It's hilarious. All right. So I'm sorry. So just, okay. So back to, so you got the note, you went out for the job. I got it. I got it. I, it was a music video and it was Hanukkah themed. So it's like, they couldn't have chosen a better person, obviously. obviously. You know, I have a Jewish essence and energy and look and feel. And also I'm an actor comedian. So I think that they knew I was going to provide the performance that they needed. And you should watch it. It is hilarious. It actually... It's really funny. (laughs) It's really funny. It's so funny because I remember there was one moment where they're lifting me up in the chair like they're doing the hora. And it's a Jewish tradition for all of you who don't know what that is. And I'm not... Look, I'm not a heavy woman. But all of a sudden, after doing it so many times, your arms could get tired. And I remember looking over at Zach Braff and the chair just starting to fall. They're like, whoa! It was hilarious. It was hilarious. I mean, it was the most fun. It was the coolest, best job I think I've ever had. 
I mean, I didn't even speak and I didn't care. I was like, I would do this any day of the week. This is an, I'm an, an honor. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here. No, that was, it was great. It was sort of like your, uh, your daydream. And then at the end, it's like, oh my God, it was real. <laughs> it was, it was so funny. That must have been a blast. And then Josh Peck was in that. Christopher Mintz Flass, who's, um, McLovin. <laughs> McLovin, right? Wasn't that McLovin? Am I, no? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, he was he's so funny. And then the other kind of huge Jewish thing you did was Night of a Thousand Jewish Stars on Clubhouse as we kind of make our way to Clubhouse. That was a, a giant Seder service for everyone knows that we do around Passover. So Clubhouse, for those who don't know what it, what it is, is an audio only social app. And we were able to bring a lot of stars. We got Jeff Garland, Chloe Fineman, Jordan Firstman. Count Randy Zuckerberg, who's incredible. I love her. Tiffany Haddish came in, Tori Spelling. And it was such an epic night. We really just did a lot of outreach. And I think at the time, people were still pretty in lockdown. And so people were just willing to come in and be of service to the community. We also had a Holocaust survivor, Sammy Steigman, who spoke. He's such an eloquent speaker and really touched so many people. And we were just very grateful that so many people said yes. You know, I, we didn't get Fran Drescher, and that one will hurt for a long time. But <laughs> my dream... What was Fran doing that she couldn't... Uh... Probably her own Seder. But we had Mayim Bialik, who's incredible, such a beautiful voice for the Jewish community as well. And I was just honored that so many people wanted to come to our Seder and partake. And we had people, Sam Marill and Jared Freed and Jessica Curson do comedy. And we had musical performers and we had people from all over the world there it was a really beautiful night and i was so grateful did your parents know most of those people no but that's okay that's okay (laughs) they enjoyed it they enjoyed it and they saw how many people came through and they were very impressed that must have made them super proud yeah yeah i think that they were i think they were proud of that so talk about Clubhouse. How did you, what, what was your rise to fame on Clubhouse? How did that come about? What you drew you to the app? You know, when did you first know like, oh my goodness, I'm uh, kind of a superstar here. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so in December, my girlfriend, Nicole Benham introduced me to the app and I didn't use it for a couple of weeks. I didn't really understand it. And she was pushing me in the direction of trying it. And when we finally started doing it, one of the first rooms I had, I was going through a breakup and there was a clinical psychologist and a relationship coach in a room. And they just talked me through the breakup and really helped me do a 180 and pivot away from this relationship and made me feel so much better. And then they followed up with me and I was like, what is this miracle app? What is this app where people are helping people? And, you know, especially in a time where we were all so disconnected from each other and craving conversation and intimacy and friendship and connection. It was almost a godsend. And I just became addicted to it. And I got excited to meet new people constantly. And I finally realized that it was going to be a fantastic space for comedy because I was making people laugh on there just being myself. And I was like, well, this is going to be perfect for comedy. So that's when I started doing daily shows. And lo and behold, thousands of people come every week. And it blows my mind that we have had over a hundred shows. We had our hundredth show last Friday. It was so cool. And I was just honored that everyone came to support and continues to come and support us. And I book comedians from around the world Monday through Friday, 12.05 PM Pacific, 
It's a show called Afternoon Delight. We also have a show called The Midnight Roast, Sundays and Thursdays. That's Paulia and Donish Makbul. They host a roast room. It's the funniest. Oh my God, these guys are hilarious. And, you know, we've got a couple other shows, but a lot of it is a team mentality now. You know, the comedians come, they, if they want to put their friends up, people they know and trust, I just let them put anyone up um, that they know and that they trust in real life. And I always want more comedians introduced to the app and I try to onboard more, as many people as I can. So it, it has been such a roller coaster. I'm very honored that the community is flourishing and that people love Hot on the Mic, my comedy club on the app, and that they love our rooms and keep coming every day. I mean, I couldn't ask for anything better, especially when we're in a world that's so blended now with digital and live. Leah has over 230,000 plus. I'm just going to say plus. 233K at the moment. Thank you. But (laughs) 233.7. Oh, wow. I figured by the time people listen, I just wanted the, you know, they go, oh, that was, you know. Anyway, um, all this translate to like the press finding you and making you kind of the focus of the success of Clubhouse. I think by word of mouth. I think that when people speak about me, even the founders of the app, they say, I found Clubhouse. I found comedy on Clubhouse. I created the space for it. And so by way of just people acknowledging what I did for the community, I think, is how people found out about me or they'd come into my rooms and they would see what I was doing and want to write a story or interview me or take quotes. So very grateful for all the press, of course. But it's it's been a wild ride. no that's awesome so how did it feel when eric weinstein is talking with joe rogan and joe rogan just kind of name drops you (laughs) that's got to be surreal right i mean then did you call your parents and they're like who you know the guy from news radio (laughs) exactly exactly i was speechless i think joe is an incredible human being and he gives a lot of young comics opportunities and he has a very large platform and I uh, can't even believe I got a shout out on it and I was very honored and humbled and Eric is just a dear friend and trusted human being and, and I I think that he's such a inspiration in many ways and I, I was blown away I was blown away Jeff just just to be brought up by t- two people who who I admire personally and professionally was really a godsend I can't even imagine. To me, it must have been maybe even cooler than opening for Dane Cook. But like, uh, (laughs) no, but to me, it's like, it just, it's got to be the the coolest thing. I mean, I mean, the amount of people that would have heard your name just because of his, how many people listen to Joe Rogan kind of got to be so surreal. So surreal. What's, what's next for Leah Lamar? I am hoping to start touring soon. And I am hoping to start doing a hot on the mic tour as well. So I'm very excited about all those things. And Clubhouse now is open to everyone, right? So they can check you out on Clubhouse. Yeah, baby. Come on in. We are open for business. (laughs) Open for business. (laughs) Besides Clubhouse, what are other great ways that people can keep up with you on the social medias? Oh, well, they can find me on Instagram at Leah Lamar, Twitter at Leah Lamar, Clubhouse at Leah Lamar. If you forgot my name, it's Sarah Silverman. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you can check my website for show dates. And I always post about them on my Instagram stories and in my clubhouse bio. I always have my my tour dates on there. So if you want to come see me live, that's where you can find me. If you want to hear me digitally, I'm usually in clubhouse Monday through Friday, 12.05 p.m. for God knows how long. And 
that's uh, that's where you can find me at the moment. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time away from all your adoring fans to uh, talk with me. <laughs> I mean, thank you so much. I will probably just take this one quote and send it to my mom and dad and be like, did you hear what he said? Adoring fans. <laughs> and they'll be like, yeah, we're number one and two. So, well, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. So nice meeting you, Jeff. So nice meeting you as well. All right, keep it going, ladies and gentlemen, for Leo Lamar. All right. Okay, so you guys have some homework now, right? Head over to Clubhouse. If you don't have the app, download the app. Follow Leah. Join her club, Hot on the Mic. Check out all the live shows that she does with all her comedian friends. Put a little laughter in your life. Also, head over to LeahLamar.com. Check out all the hilarious videos Leah has done. Plus, there's clips, lots of stuff we didn't even talk about. She's the host of E! What the Fashion. She has a web series, Real Witches of West Hollywood. Tons more hilarious stuff for you to discover at LeahLamar.com. All right. Well, with the interview over, that means we're nearing the end of the episode. But that can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app on Google or iTunes app store. Tweet along with all the hashtag roundup games. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. This week's hashtag, hashtag my dream escape is from Tag Recall. Leah was kind enough to share her story of following her dream from New York to L.A. and to superstardom. So let's dive into some other people's dreams with the hashtag my dream escape is. Alicia's dream escape is Disneyland. Like she literally wants to live in the castle. I got to admit something to you. I do, too. Helen's dream escape is anything to do with Henry Cavill. <laughs> Cat wants to escape to the Netherlands. Mary dreams of heading over to Tuscany and reading amongst the olive trees. Gina's dream escape is somewhere over the rainbow. Gina, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Janine, is, her dream escape is the Bates Motel. I'm not sure she understood the tag. Uh, Darren's dream escape is seeing pandas up close. Diane's dream escape would be to Margaritaville with a shaker of salt. I hear it's a lost shaker of salt, Diane. Gnome's dream escape is somewhere without her kids. Raymond wants to get away from his stupid bosses. Kelly wants to head over to a secluded desert island. And Alan's dream escape is a trip to Bermuda. But I'm assuming he doesn't mean the Bermuda Triangle. All right, well, those are some great dream escapes. Hopefully you all get to go where you want to go in your life travels. We'd love to hear what you're Dream Escape is, head over to Twitter and tweet with the hashtag MyDreamEscapeIs. I'll keep an eye out for it. Well, can you believe it? Here we are at the end of the episode. Episode 69 has come and gone. I want to thank once again my guest, Leah Lamar, for joining me. Everyone check out Ricky Glore's Kickstarter. Links to everyone will be in the show notes. Can't thank you all enough for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.